Good morning. My name is Jesse. I am the youth pastor here at Central Heights. Uh, we are continuing our series, Words That Change Your World. And if you're just jumping in with us this morning, uh, it's a series on the Lord's Prayer, this model prayer of Jesus that we're looking at from Matthew chapter 6. And so I would invite you to go there with me as we look at the final lines of this prayer this morning. This is giving us a framework for how we can talk to God. Jesus is giving this to his disciples, but it's also given to us as a model. And so we're going to read, starting in verse 9, we're going to read the whole prayer. And specifically this morning, we want to look at the words from verse 13. So Jesus says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, it's our prayer this morning that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done in this room as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. So I don't know if you've ever experienced anything game-changing. Maybe it was a new piece of technology that came out that you managed to purchase. Maybe it was a new position at your job. Maybe it was a new relationship that you started or ended, maybe. But whenever I think of things that are game-changing, my, my memory goes back to a time when I played basketball on my school team growing up. And all the way back to middle school when I started this whole thing, uh, I was really excited about this because I like the game of basketball, but also because our team was known for a couple of things. It was known, first of all, for being a very fast team. We worked a lot on our, on our speed and our endurance, our stamina, because our coach wanted us to be able to exhaust other teams with the fast playing style that we would use. So we were known for being a fast team. We were also known for being a very accurate team. We had the ball, our percentages for when we would shoot it and get it into the hoop and put points on the board was fairly high. But there was another thing we were known for that wasn't quite as impressive, and that was that we were known for being a very short team. And that is not a good thing to be known for in the game of basketball. We did not have a lot of height on our team. And, and for me, uh, at this point in, in middle school, I was an average-sized guy in general, but on my team, I was an above-average height. That is not good news for my team, because if, if we're relying on a Caucasian, stocky white boy to rebound and get points for us, that's going to be a problem. And height is a significant advantage in the game of basketball. It gives you reach. It gives you the ability to grab the ball and gain possession. It gives you, you're closer to the net, so that's got to be an advantage, right? And for me on our team, I was put in a position where I was relied upon for my height. Like, picture this. Like, even right now, you can picture if I was on a team, you wouldn't want me being that guy. And so in, in the defensive end, what would happen when the team uh, that we were facing uh, would, would come in, and I remember this so clearly from an early tournament, one of the very first games I ever played with this team, we, we, were, we were playing defense, the team would come in, and, and when they shot the ball and when they missed, you know, it would go off the backboard, it would go off the rim, it would just go somewhere uh, that was up for grabs if they missed. And so when the ball is up in the air, 
right? Me being on my team, one of the tallest people, I'm trying to reach and, 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 and use my height to my team's advantage. But what I remember so clearly in this first game was that in my mind, how I treated this ball was as a threat to be removed out of the danger zone of our end. And so what I did was every time the ball would come down, I would be swatting at it, just trying to get it away, like get away from my hoop, get away from my team. And what would happen with that is that it would give not only my team a chance to get the ball, but what I didn't understand is that it would give the other team an equal chance to get the ball. And that is not a good thing when you want to try and control the game. And my coach picked up on this very quickly, calls me out and is like, Jesse, you got to reach up and you got to grab the thing. I'm like, well, that, that makes a lot of sense because then our team has the ball because I'm on our team. I don't want to just, you know, have it be up for grabs, swatting this thing over and over, trying to get it away. I have to reach up. I have to grab it. And just that simple, simple shift for me and my stats on the team and for my team in general in their effectiveness was a game changer. A simple understanding and a simple action that had a dramatic effect. And I think when I look at, at the story of, of, of the gospel and when I look at prayer, it's a game changer. It is an absolute game changer. See, my problem wasn't that I, I didn't know what the game was. I had the right intentions. I had the right goal in mind. Like it was a good idea to not let the other team score. I had the right uniform on. I was in the right place. I was in the right position. But I was still limiting the success of our team and how I was understanding and acting. And what Jesus gives us in particular in these last lines in verse 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That is a game changer in the battle against forces that want to leave us empty, destroyed, away from the human flourishing, away from the holiness of our God. It's a game changer for us. What we want to know is, is what does that look like? So there's a couple things we're going to look at this morning. First, we're going to look at two uh, assumptions that the text makes, the two assumptions that these words have for us. Then we're going to look at three targets of this prayer, and we're going to land with four different results that change the game for us in this battle. And the first thing we need to acknowledge as, as we start this is that, this, that the text assumes that there is going to be temptation and that there is going to be evil that we face in our world. It's part of the brokenness of where we're left with in this era before Jesus returns and sets all things right, before heaven and earth really do collide, before the prayer in, in, in the Lord's prayer is met, your kingdom come on earth as in heaven. Until that fully happens, that's going to be part of our experience, and Jesus knows this. And when we look at the, these two things of temptation, and we look at this thing of evil, what we understand is that, yes, we can be our own enemy in this, can't we? When it comes to temptation, we can be the ones that are part of the problem. But more than that, there's, there's also the evil that we might uh, receive or experience around us. But there's also, beyond just the physical sense, there's this other layer going on of the spiritual sense. And it's not something we often think about in the North American church. It's kind of uncomfortable. It's this layer of reality where there are spiritual forces at work. Alongside us being our own enemy, we actually do have another enemy. See, the New International Version and other translations take the text and they go, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And in the biblical story, the evil one, the chief enemy of God is Satan or the devil, and him and his forces are working at cross purposes to God's. 
And although they're opposites, they're not equals. And our starting point this morning is that we know we are on the side of the champion who's already won the war, even though the battle is still raging. So that's the first assumption we need to make is that God wants us to avoid evil and temptation. They are real things. But the good news for us is that they're also possible to avoid. See, the very fact that we're told we can pray against these things shows us that, well, it's not inevitable that we just have to just roll over and accept it. You know, that, that family history that you have, that you inherited, those mistakes that were left on your doorstep, you know, that, that, that addiction that you're facing, that problem that, is, that has landed in your lap, the temptation of the world around us and the culture around us. There's something that we can do to avoid these negative experiences. And believe me, they are negative experiences. Is why God wants us to avoid them. One of the kind of the strange and frustrating uh, things for me right now as a dad of two young boys is mealtime. So I've got a two-year-old, two-and-a-half-year-old, and I've also got an eight-month-old. And for some reason, we're sitting around the table. That is a frustrating experience. Like getting food into my kids' mouths is not an enjoyable thing. And some of you parents know how this goes sometimes. So my two-year-old, and he kind of struggles with it. But my, my eight-month-old, he, he, he can pack back food pretty well. But there's this really annoying thing that kind of just, just grates on me when he's sitting in his high chair and he's really happy and he's like ready, you know, to, to receive what I've got from, you know, that good, uh, delicious pureed yumminess that's coming on that little spoon, right? And he's sitting there like all happy. What he does sometimes, free, and actually it's becoming more and more frequent, is as he's leaning in to, you know, grab this thing with his mouth, he somehow midway redirects his face to try to chomp on the side of his high chair. And I'm like... Oh. What is this? And it's just like, okay, here he comes, here he comes. What? Okay, here he comes, here he comes. What? And he's just like, just like, right? Like, what, what is he doing? And I remember I heard these words come out of my mouth this week. I was like, buddy, there is nothing there, and there never has been anything there, and there never will be anything there. And my wife's like, well, maybe it just feels good on his gums. Like, maybe that's why he's doing it. And as this whole scenario unfolded, I realized that is me with, with temptation and evil. God is holding out goodness for us. He's holding out his, his, his right, uh, righteous, flourishing plan for us. And as we're going for it, sometimes the culture we live in, the world we live in, it's like halfway towards God, we, we, we misdirect, we turn our faces, and we, when we just chomp on, grab onto something that is not good for us. Or at least in, in, in my son's case, that if his whole meal time plan is just to, to chew on the side of his high chair, that's just going to leave him empty. There's no nutrition there. And if he's empty, he doesn't have any food, well, that's just going to lead to his own destruction, right? Like he's going to be malnourished. He's not going to grow. And I think that's what happens for us in the world we live in. This is why God wants us to avoid evil and temptation. See, what he, when he tells us what to pray for, when he tells us what to say, it shows us what he wants us to have and to experience. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Why? Because these things are opposed to my good purposes for you. They're going to leave you empty. They're going to leave you destroyed. And what you need to understand is that prayer is a game changer in this battle that exists, that you are living in. And it can affect everything. In James chapter 1, we're told, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, 
and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And we're asked to pray this way. God, lead us. Lead us away from this stuff. It's not good for us. And aren't you glad, by the way, that when we're praying to God, we're, we're praying to somebody who really gets it. Like, not just that he's observed humanity for long enough and he's got all this power where he can come in and help us. Or, you know, he's, he's surveyed, you know, the human story for, for thousands of years. And he goes, yeah, I think I understand what they're going through. It's more than that. Jesus enters into humanity. You can read about this in Hebrews, but he fully gets what we're going through. He, he himself understands the weakness. He understands the brokenness. He understands the, the weight of temptation and evil better than us, in fact, because he never gave into it. We've got a guide who is worth following and who actually can, can help us out. He's not a blind guide. Like, go back to basketball for a second. Uh, Pastor Rod, who you saw up here, he's a basketball coach in town. Can you imagine how ineffective he would be if he had never, you know, laced up his Nikes, threw on his short shorts in the 60s, and actually played the game? Right? He'd be totally ineffective as a coach. His players would be looking at him like, what do, you, what do you know? You don't know this. Like you're telling us stuff. Maybe, maybe you've watched basketball. Maybe you've, you've read about techniques, but you've never actually played it. You've never entered in onto the court and actually done stuff to understand what it feels like and what the heat of the moment is like. We've got a God. We've got a Jesus. We've got a shepherd who wants to lead us in this battle. And more than just having power to help us, he actually gets it. He really gets it. So the two things we need to understand as we start is that God wants us to avoid the experiences of temptation and evil because they're going to leave us empty and destroyed. But we're given a game-changing weapon in this battle, and it's prayer in connection with the one who really has the power and really understands. So let's be specific this morning. What are, what are some of the targets of this? Because when I think of temptation and evil, uh, kind of even just the sound of it might even feel a bit churchy and we're not too sure what are we getting at. I want to give us three common targets, three common categories that this might be targeting. Number one is simply deception. Deception. Now this might be the problem of, of false information, fake news, you know, misinterpreting God's word, misinterpreting our situation, misinterpreting our circumstances in a conversation we, we might have had. And we're told in John 8 that the, the evil one, this enemy who's involved in this prayer, he's a liar. And he has been from the very beginning. There's no truth in him, Jesus tells us. So we should expect that when we're praying this, God lead us, God deliver us. One of the targets of this is deception. Deceptions that want to leave us empty and destroyed. Some of the worst lies, I think, are the ones that set us up with false expectations for life. Because when we have false expectations, we get disappointed in life. And it's weird because one of the ones that I, that I see over and over that causes anxiety in me at times and causes stress in people around me is when trouble and evil and temptation does enter into the day-to-day -day life. And it's like, well, where, where is God? And it's like the deception is that, well, if God is with you, you shouldn't be facing this. And if God really cares about you, this would be done. This would be over. If God's really loving, this evil wouldn't be happening. But what's weird about that is not only are we told to pray against it here in, in this model prayer, but we're told all throughout Scripture that this is going to be part of, of the story. Like in John 16, Jesus says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. 
but take heart, I've overcome the world. Psalm 46, I am a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Why do we lose our minds when trouble happens as if for some reason God must not be real? God must be something that, that's just a, a good idea when we're living a good life, but when trouble happens, there's, there's nothing there for us. Some of the worst lies that the enemy wants to, to feed us set us up with false expectations for reality. But I think maybe worse than just outright blatant lies, like, you know, the lies where, God, where, where Satan's like, you know, God didn't really say that. You can use your body this way. You can use your money this way. You can use your time this way. I think almost worse for me than, than those just blatant black and white lies are, are have-truths that set me up for, for failure. Like, have you ever jumped to a conclusion about something or someone without an appropriate amount of context for that conclusion? Like you've, you've formed an opinion uh, about a person in your life and you're like, well, I'm going to put them on my blacklist. I'm not going to talk to them because I heard this about them or you know, I, I, I'm going to think about this restaurant or this political figure or, or whatever it is because you know, I was scrolling on, on social media and I saw an article and it said so-and-so is like this and I didn't like that about them. And, and I mean, I never read the article. I just saw the heading and that was enough for me. I'm going to form my opinion around that. But you know, like it's, it's like we, we, we arrive at a position but we don't have, you know, an appropriate amount of information to get there. Like as, as a pastor in a church, sometimes you get, you get feedback from people uh, you're working with or, or, or leading with or trying to serve, which is a very good thing. Uh, but sometimes what happens to that is there is misunderstanding. And the, the temptation can be to, to, to misinterpret what's going on and just arrive at a conclusion because it's efficient. Like I got this email once uh, recently where I was like, you guys are doing, you know, you're doing A and B and C in the youth ministry. And, and, and they're like, we're just really upset about this. And, uh, and I was like, wow, this is, this is crazy. Like, it, you're right. We are doing A and we are doing B and we're doing C. But I was like, wow, this has really been burdening you because you didn't understand that there was also D, E, F, G, H, I, and J, all these other topics that surrounded this. You had some information, but what you needed was a bit more information to get to a proper conclusion. And sometimes the enemy likes to use these have-truths in our lives, and we like to jump onto the temptation of, of the information that we have and just let it run wild, and we form opinions about, well, I'm never going to text so-and-so again, and I'm never going to go to that family dinner again, or I'm not going to show up to that thing because so-and-so is there, and I heard this about them. You know, why, why do we let that happen? And this could be a common target of this prayer. God, God, would you lead us from this? When I'm entering you know, this room, and I know these people are going to be in there, would you lead me to, to understand and not misinterpret? Like we're seeing families collapse, marriages collapse, all built on the, the work of the enemy that wants to, you know, take information and twist it. And for me, when I jump to a conclusion without a context, that's one of the main ways I see myself fall into this trap. And so I want to pray this prayer. God, lead me, help me to see and deliver me from, from wrong conclusion. Another category, another target we might be after is distraction. We've got deception, yes, and sometimes this works hand in hand with distraction, but distraction is a whole category of, of target for this prayer. You know, like where, where, where there's, there's good things, but they're pursued in a wrong way. I think this is the main way we fall into this in our culture, where, where we've got a good desire, we've got a, a right thing that we want or to possess or to experience or to feel, but then we pursue it in a completely wrong way. You know, like the desire for human connection and we're going to use our technology and our social media for that, but rather than connection and using it just for connection, we start using it for comparison. 
So then all of a sudden, it's, it's not about just me relating to people and getting information about what's going on in their lives. It's about, wow, they've got this going on and I don't have the money for that. Or, or wow, I missed out on that party. Or, wow, I missed out on this thing. And those people look like they had a good time and I'm not having a good time. And everybody's life seems different than mine. Wow, this is just, this is just really overwhelming. And then we end up, you know, stressed and depressed and, and just in a world of craziness because we had a good desire, but we pursued it in maybe not a healthy way. Or like anything else in our culture. You know, we have a desire uh, for, for sexuality, but we pursue it any which way we want. We have a desire to be accepted and belong, but in the process, we, we pursue it by compromising what we believe just to blend in and fit in with the crowd we want to feel accepted from. Like, you know, when you're like, you know, I, I know you don't joke this way or laugh at this type of stuff when you're with your wife and your kids, but for some reason when the bros are there and you're, when you're with your squad, it's like you've got a whole different vocabulary. What's going on there? All these different types of distractions that this prayer might be targeting. You know, literally as I was thinking about this whole thing of distraction, I was, I was sitting in a coffee shop and I watched a, a lady out in the rain, in the pouring rain of this week, uh, with a big bag, and she was struggling to run uh, across the street to, to try and, and get somewhere, and I couldn't quite see what it was, and I, and I saw how heavy this bag was, I saw that you know, the, the wind and the rain was against her, it didn't seem maybe like she was in the greatest shape, so she's struggling to kind of get to where she's going, and I realized she's headed for the bus, which is stopped at its stop, but also in the flow of traffic is waiting for the light to change so it can move on, so she has this narrow wind of time and, and her desire is to get on the bus so that she can get to where she wants to go and she's struggling and I'm like I, I'm helpless to do anything I'm just watching this unfold and she finally gets there and I'm like wow she made it my, my stress moment has passed but then she hangs her head turns and, and walks away from the bus and I realized on the side of the bus it said not in service and I wonder for us, how many things are we running towards? We've got this desire to make something happen. We've got this desire to feel a certain way. And we're just running, we're straining, and we're pressing in, we're putting in all our best effort. And when we get there, it's like God has hung a sign that's like, this thing is not going to serve you the way you think it is. So I want you to pray, lead us, not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. But a third category that might overlap with some of these others, we've got deception, we've got distraction, but we might also have disruption. Where we thought the day, we thought the month, we thought the week was going to go a certain way, but this unexpected stuff out of our control just popped into the story, and now we've got to deal with it. You know, we've got this unexpected bill, we've got this unexpected medical issue. Oh, my friend wrecked his car. Oh, my car was broken into. Oh, now what am I going to do? And all of these different types of things that the enemy wants to use in our lives and that maybe we just get just so anxious over because it's part of, of what's happening in our world. God, would you lead us? God, would you deliver us from this stuff? Because we don't want to experience it. Deception, distraction, disruption, all of these things that could be targeted by this prayer. So what, what happens? What happens when we pray? I want to list four different game changers for us this morning. That if these are the targets, if these are the forces, if this is the battle where we could end up, you know, following God and experiencing all he has for us or, you know, working against him and, and ended up, you know, empty and destroyed, what are the results if we actually do pray? So number one, 
Prayer activates game-changing awareness. Because when I'm praying, you know, lead me not into temptation, deliver me from evil, you know, God rescue me from this, I'm actually acknowledging that I'm in a battle, that the battlefront is at my doorstep. And when we're not aware, that's already a huge problem. Like some of you may have dodged my two-year-old in the parking lot because he is not aware that cars are a hazard after a Sunday service. And he just runs out there like, it's just like, I can go anywhere and do anything I want, however I want. If that was you, I'm sorry, you might have that this morning as well. But he just doesn't have an awareness. So you've got to teach him. We have to lead him. We have to rescue him sometimes. But not only does this prayer activate a game-changing awareness of the battle, it also reminds us of the one who's already won the war and who's with us in the fight. And we need that. We need that. We're told over and over in Scripture that part of, part of our resistance in the battle is, is simply to be alert. Like in First Peter, we're told, you know, you know, your adversary, the devil, roars around like a prowling lion seeking somebody to devour. So be sober-minded, be watchful. That can be a game-changer for us. Another thing that can change the game is that prayer expresses game-changing surrender. In James 4, we're told, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I love what N.T. Wright says about prayer. He says, at its lowest, prayer is shouting into a void on the off chance there may be someone out there listening. But at its highest, prayer merges into love as the presence of God becomes so real that we pass beyond words and into a sense of his reality, generosity, delight, and grace. As we reach up, as we grab on, to our relationship with him through Jesus, through faith in Jesus, changes the game for us. Like back in the spring, uh, we had this issue in, in, in my family where, where, where Janelle was just experiencing these extreme symptoms of hot and cold, extreme fever, extreme chills. And so we end up in the hospital. We're not sure what's going on. It's been hours that this has been happening with no progress. In fact, if anything, it was progressing to be worse. I'm thinking of this experience of disruption that is happening in our lives. And one afternoon in the hospital, as things had kind of quieted down for the day, we were still no answers, still no plan. I was, I was thinking about this, 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 this access we have in, 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 in our relationship with God because of Jesus. And although the really loud part of our, of our story was that health was, was up in the air, Even though I couldn't control the temptation, I couldn't control the evil, I couldn't control the vulnerability we were experiencing, I could control how much I prayed. And so in that room, I'm grabbing on. I'm saying, God, deliver us from this. Rescue us from this. And before I knew anything had happened, that was already a game changer just in my own heart. But then the next day, we end up leaving the hospital. No plan, no answers, but with health. And we couldn't believe it. Doctors didn't know why we were allowed to leave. They didn't know what even we were there for in the first place. All we knew is that her organs were shutting down without explanation. But prayer was a game changer for us in that. A third thing is that prayer is a vehicle of game-changing resistance. Over and over throughout the New Testament, we're told we can resist the devil. Like in James 4, it's like resist the devil and he'll flee from you. He is afraid of our resistance. And when we, when we enter into prayer, when we enter into God, lead me, God, deliver me. 
It's like we are pushing back. We are resisting. We are, we are using our weapon in this battle, whether it's our own temptation or something out beyond our control. We're grabbing on going, God, lead me. God, deliver me. I'm going to resist the forces that want to leave me empty and destroyed in this moment. But a fourth thing, and maybe this is what you need so much this morning, is that prayer gives us game-changing hope. Because for a lot of us, when, when evil and temptation enter our story, when there's deception, when there's distraction, when there's disruption in our lives, it's like, well, you know, what are we going to do? And I think for, for me, one of, the, one of the worst things about this is I let the enemy use my words and elevate them to a place where they're above God's words. Where I tell myself, you know, Jesse, I've, you've prayed about this before. You know, Jesse, you committed your life in this certain direction. You know, you know, Jesse, like, you came up at the front of the church once and prayed for this. You've done all this stuff before. Nothing is going to change. And he uses my words and puts them to a place where they're above God's words, where God's words is like, no, when you're tempted, I will provide you a way of escape. When you confess your sins, I will be faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you. Don't let the enemy take your words and put them above God's words. We need to reach up. We need to grab on and go, God, I know there's hope because I know you've shown me to pray this way. What God shows us to say shows us what God wants us to have. And it's not an experience of temptation and evil. It's deliverance from it. It's being led through it. And maybe for you, the, the biggest deliverance from evil is, is for the very first time you need to give your life to Jesus. You need to grab on and have the game changed from death to life. Knowing that the Savior we're praying to came and lived a perfect life in your place so that he could substitute his righteousness for any experience of temptation or evil we have given into and experienced and came back to life so that he could lead us, so that he could rescue us, so that he could give us new life. And so how do you need to pray today? How do you need to reach up and rather than just swatting aimlessly, trying to make something happen, actually activate a game changer and understand that prayer can be that. What are the things you need to pray about? Maybe for the 50th time you need to pray about it. Maybe with somebody you need to pray about it. What do you need to pray for today? And as I was reflecting on this this week, I realized that everything essential in my life is scheduled. Like I schedule going to work because I need income. I schedule meeting up with friends because I need relationship. I schedule when I'm going to go to bed because I need rest. I schedule, you know, having mealtimes so that I get nutrition. Why not schedule prayer? If it really is that essential, if it really is that game changing, why not do that? Why not realize the dramatic effect that can happen when we reach out, when we grab on, that we can gain an awareness, we can gain a hope, we can gain a surrender and a resistance against everything that wants to leave us empty and destroyed. So as the band comes back, I want us to consider, you know, what is it this morning for you in your life? How does God want to lead you? How does God want to deliver you? And enter into that space. We'll have people up here after the service. You've got people around you that can pray with you. Maybe you just need to enter in yourself. But our Father in heaven is good enough. Our Father in heaven is strong enough. And our Father in heaven is available enough to lead us and deliver us even in 
experiences of temptation and evil. So God, help us. Lead us. The shepherd who gets it. The shepherd who's powerful. Help us to follow you when you want to lead us. And deliver us for the things that are outside of our control but that you want to rescue us from.